Good evening and welcome. Tonight we have a collection of scary camping encrypted stories. Perfect for this summer's listening. If you enjoy, please feel free to subscribe. And with that said, let's begin. I was never considered to be popular in high school. At best I had maybe five or six good close friends who I'd hang out with most weekends. I'd normally wouldn't attend parties thrown by the cool kids, even if I was invited. I prefer to stick with my good friends, doing things like riding dirt bikes, shooting and having bonfires. My best friend, let's call him Zach, and I lived out in the rural parts of our region. This area had a lot of wetlands, marsh and canals which were part of the swampland surrounding the area. Luckily there were no alligators, but the place was abundant with poisonous snakes and even black bears. Zach and I, along with our friend Ian, we would often go camping in these areas. Truth is that seeing a black bear was pretty rare, and as long as you avoided the snakes, they'll leave you alone. There were quite a few campsites only accessible by boat. Zach's family owned a local campground where his grandfather had an old Boston whaler skiff, maybe 12 feet long. This was plenty enough for our camping equipment which included the usual stuff like a tent, sleeping bags, lanterns and a small propane grill. Of course, we also had a couple coolers of beer, water and food. This particular camping trip, it was myself, Zach, Ian and our other friend Austin who went to another school but knew Zach from back in the day. The four of us had planned our trip for Labor Day weekend so we could have an extra day to spend camping. We had planned it for months, saving up enough money for beer and other supplies. A couple weeks before we left, there was an announcement that a hurricane was set to hit our area at the same weekend. Due to the geography of our area, Most hurricanes slow down and turn into a tropical storm or depression. It's not nearly as much of a threat as an actual hurricane. We went ahead with our plans anyway, since it was our senior year and we knew we'd all be in college the following year, not knowing how many more trips we'd get. That Saturday, we loaded the boat up with our supplies and launched off. The hurricane had since become a tropical depression, and it looked like it would change trajectories anyway. It was about a 45 minute trip to the secluded campground we'd go to. The place basically never had anyone else there, so we were free to do what we normally did. Drink some beers, shoot our 22 rifles at the empty cans of water macassans swimming around the canal, and sit around the fire telling stories. Looking back, I'm amazed Zach's dad let us go. Teenage boys carrying coolers full of beer with a few 22 rifles. I'm sure you're thinking we're all dumb for doing that but we were actually responsible, looking out for one another and always made sure the guns were away once we started drinking. The worst part about it was the cell reception was spotty at best, so you'd be lucky to get a few text messages delivered. This was also before smartphones, so we had no way of checking the weather report unless we wanted to cost our parents a boatload of money, and that was even if we could get any bars. Anyway, as the day progressed, dark storm clouds started to roll in, This wasn't unexpected because the storm wasn't too far off coast so some rain was in the forecast. Zach's dad was an avid outdoorsman and had a tent that could survive winds higher than what was predicted. It was basically a mini house, sleeping 10 people comfortably with 4 separated sections. We anchored it down in the hardest dart we could find and made sure the rain tarp was secured tight. We finished our evening by making some burgers and polishing off a 24 pack of Bud Light until the rain came in. We quickly hustled off to the tent to play card games and drink more beer. 
I remember thinking, man, that rain is coming down and it hasn't stopped, just before going to sleep. Sometime later that night, I was awoken by Ian shaking me, sounding freaked out. Look outside, look outside, he kept saying. I unzipped the tent and looked, only to see our boat floating closer to our tent, while the dock we tied it to was completely gone. Even the posts standing about four feet above the dock were completely submerged. The water had risen at least five feet and had crept within a few feet of our tent. The strip of land where we had set up camp was only about 50-60 feet wide, surrounded by water on three sides like a peninsula. It was then that we were faced with a decision. One, we could try to wait out the storm, moving our tent back to higher ground, which was only maybe another 10 feet or so. Or two, we could quickly pack, hopefully reaching the boat in time before it was surrounded by water, and drive 45 minutes in the dark with only a couple of strong flashlights to guide us. Everyone besides Zach thought we should go. Seeing that we didn't have service and if the water kept rising, which it surely would, we'd be in serious danger. We eventually convinced Zach to agree to cut the trip short and sloppily packed our things. We ended up having to jump from the ground to the boat, cutting the rope, tying it to the dock which was about 4 or 5 feet below the water at this point. I sat up front, shining the strongest flashlight about 20 feet in front of us. It was quite possibly the worst trip of my life. We had dumped our coolers in order to make the boat go faster, but couldn't go full speed due to the wake from the rising flood. Heavy, cold rain stung our faces and eyes temporarily blinding us. Either side of the canal was completely submerged. The narrow channel had risen at least ten feet. As we rounded a corner, I felt a scratch from underneath the boat to my right. The small skiff lurched, then suddenly tipped, throwing the four of us into the dark, murky water. It was then when my mind began thinking about my parents and siblings. How sad and angry they would be that I died so young. I thought about how I'd never get to go to college and have a good job. I thought about my dreams of running off to the west coast for grad school after I finished. I felt the weight of my steel-toed boots dragging me down into the muddy abyss. It was at this point when I saw the boat a few yards away flipped over, illuminated by the spotlight I had been using. I swam to it and found that my three companions had found a dry spot off the bank. They had been screaming for me, but due to the heavy wind and rain, I couldn't hear them. We dragged the boat back to the bank, flipping it and miraculously got the engine started. We must have drove five miles an hour the whole way home. I can tell you it was the longest boat ride of my life. We were cold, soaked to the bone, and making matters worse still pretty impaired from all the beer we had consumed. When we saw the light off the boat ramp, we all thanked God. It was a short walk to Zach's house from there. Turns out his dad had been frantically trying to call us to tell us to come home. As it happens, the storm had hit a warm patch off the coast, strengthened and changed trajectories hitting us directly. Winds that night were reported up to 80 miles an hour, and massive flooding in some low areas even caused people to evacuate. The worst part was telling Zach's dad about the damage his boat had taken and losing his tent and one of his 22 rifles. He was upset, but I think he felt responsible for letting us go in the first place. We finished the weekend by having a hurricane party at Zach's place, staying there Saturday and Sunday night playing video games and eating junk food. Unfortunately, it was our last camping trip and sadly we don't see each other much anymore since I followed my dream to move to the west coast. Zach stays home and worked for his family while Ian joined the Navy and started his own family. 
we do still keep in touch and plan to have another camping trip in the future, this time making sure the weather's clear. About halfway between Providence and New London, you could find my homely cottage nestled beneath the shade of old, knotty red pines. A man I know well mentioned to me the surrounding area was previously farmland, before that it was believed to be a hunting camp. He said they found caches of ancient flakes and tools leading all the way up to the bog behind my back fence. That is where I saw the eyes, just beyond those weathered pickets, tucked within the mess of narrow briars. I lied awake staring at the swirls in the ceiling, illuminated by my bedside candle, following the pattern across the room until the mundane thoughts of the day dissipated, allowing me to slip into a comfortable slumber. I could hear the slight wobble of the ceiling fan as it spun overhead, and the cycling of the refrigerator compressor a few rooms away, but with something outside my window which caused my head to jerk and skin to prickle. It was rustling in the leaves, not from a small creature by any means. Its stride sounded familiar, almost bipedal, and were advancing quickly. It became louder and more chilling as it approached the divide between the wilderness and my declared plot. I grabbed a flashlight from the side of my tent and exhaled a trebling breath which half-heartedly extinguished the candle's flame. I crept up to the window and bent my ear closely in efforts to sate my curiosity. Again, it stirred the forest floor and I rested my elbow on the windowsill and aimed my unlit flashlight with diligence, right where I heard the sound with the button loaded ready to release at movement. It does, so I cast the beam through the prickly vines and pickets, and to much surprise it reflects back at me through the gaze of two round spheres with a prominent glossed milky haze. Its body remained hidden behind the vegetation so no other features could be discerned. Although my hand trembled, I did not waver the light, neither did the eyes. They didn't blink or drift. This lasted for what felt like an hour, two statues locked in eternal stare fully succumbed to fear and curiosity alike. The battery in my flashlight gave up and immediately the rustling began again. Frantically I crawled across the nylon of the pitch black room to find batteries in the bed table drawer but by the time I made the swap it was too late. I panned the tree line with a cone of light, desperate for a hint of something, anything that would provide answer for the inexplicable and hellish gaze. The eyes haven't appeared again in the woods but they did elsewhere. They plague my thoughts almost every moment. The empty, lifeless stare populates my consciousness like a plague of rats, biting and tearing away at the pieces which remain loosely tethered. Now I lie awake for a different reason. For every time I begin to drift away, I see those dead, hungry eyes. Its mouth seems to stretch across the entirety of its face, like an exaggerated grin. My flashlight shook rapidly in my hand and I was shivering once again but this time not from the cold. After a moment passed, I heard a noise that made my heart sink to my stomach. Daniel called out to me, asking if I could see anything. When his tiny voice carried out from the tent, this thing before me twitched and turned its attention to my son's voice, who was still inside the tent. It seemed like it was drawn to the sound of my son's voice. Its face angled down towards the nylon material, its smiling mouth began to widen. Then, its lower jaw dropped nearly a foot long. A row of thin, razor-sharp teeth lined the top and the bottom of its mouth. It raised its unnaturally long arm high up into the air, and I realised then what it was going to do. 
My body reacted on its own as I reached my hand inside the tent grabbing onto Daniel and I pulled as hard as I could. Daniel and I came crashing to the ground at this thing assaulted and tore through our tent. During the onslaught, I helped Daniel by placing my hand over his mouth as his tears began to coat my hand. We stared silently at this thing eviscerating our tent. During this, one of our bags had been sent flying towards us, crashing right next to me. Realising it was my bag, I reached over and felt through the pockets before finding my car keys. I whispered into Daniel's ear that when I gave the signal to run for the car as fast as he could, despite his distress, he nodded. A few moments after the creature started attacking our tent, a noise drew its attention off into the woods. I turned towards the sound and that's when I told Daniel to run. We both rose to our feet and dashed towards our car. A deafening shriek filled the air behind us as we ran. Right before we made it, I rapidly clicked the unlock button and we both entered the car, slamming and locking the doors behind us. I started the car and when the lights came on, that thing was standing directly before us, an angry grin plastered across its elongated face. I threw the car into reverse and we backed out of there. I spun the car around in the soft dirt and we drove the trail back onto the main road, trying desperately not to crash in the process. We didn't stop driving until we made it home. The entire drive, Daniel didn't say a word. He just sobbed quietly in his seat while I struggled not to do the same. Since that day, I've decided to never take my son camping again. Thank you all for taking the time to listen, and if you enjoyed, please subscribe. And with that said, I'll catch you all in the next one. Thank you.